Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for tonight's program. And oftentimes the problem isn't what the Bible says, the problem is how people interpret a passage like that. In other words, they think it says something it doesn't actually say. Over the course of history, there have been many who have been entrusted with what seems a special gift to share God's Word with others. It's a gift that comes with a huge responsibility as the message isn't always popular or well received by the hearer. But the Word of God brings hope, light, wisdom and truth. As hearers of the Word, what is our response? What are we to do? Tonight, Dr. Corbett takes us again to the book of Jeremiah for a look at the importance of the Word of God. So this is Jeremiah. What we can see in the book of Jeremiah is very applicable for us today. Jeremiah is the second of the major prophets. We saw in our last session that the major prophets include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. This Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He says in chapter 9 where he, he weeps over the condition of his people and he he says that my eyes were, would be like a fountain of of water that i would just weep and weep and weep and so the amazing the, i think the outstanding thing about um jeremiah is that he didn't just preach or prophesy a word and that's it he actually felt the word and he felt for people too so in a moment i want to make a point that what i'm doing this morning is drawing on the lessons that I personally as a preacher see in the life and the ministry of Jeremiah. Uh, People, I think, have this picture of an Old Testament prophet being this cloaked guy with a bony finger pointing wrath and damnation and pestilence and famine on people, when in fact Jeremiah was an extremely young man when he was called. He wasn't an old man at all. In fact, he would have been a young teenager when he was called into the prophetic ministry. And his heart for people is more, if you think, not so much a prophet, but if you think more of a shepherd. And he, in chapter 23, devotes an entire chapter, well, God uses him to devote an entire chapter to the shepherd heart of God, how God wanted people to be under his shepherd's care. And so we're going to see in Jeremiah that this is the the case. So what we're dealing with now is the great themes of, of the book of Jeremiah. And we we looked in our last session at the sovereignty of God, which means God has a sacred plan. And there's a name that's used in Hebrew to describe God as the sovereign God. And we have no equivalent word in English for it. So when we translate that Hebrew word, which sounds like Yahweh, we translate it into English the, the translators go, well, we don't even know what to do with this word. So what we're going to do is we're going to capitalize every letter, but we'll make the capital L a big one so you know it's a name. And then we'll put in small caps, O-R-D. So whenever you're reading in your Bible and you see the Lord capitalized, the translators are trying to tell you this means God is in complete control. Nothing escapes his control. So that was the first of the major themes of Jeremiah. And as we continue to look at these themes, uh, we're now going to look at the second of the major themes of of the book of Jeremiah. And it's the Word of God. And this is huge. In fact, the expression, the Word, the Word of God, the words of God, I think occurs in the book of Jeremiah more than any other book of the Bible. So this is really big. All right. So if you're in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1, 
This is what it says. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Verse 2. To whom the word of the Lord came. So immediately we're introduced to this pretty major theme. In the days of, and this helps us to date when uh, Jeremiah was around. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon. And Josiah is mentioned uh, uh, Second Kings. Uh, Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. Verse 3. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until, and we go down to uh, verse 4. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, I want you to jump down to verse 9. I'm highlighting that this is Jeremiah's relationship to the word of the Lord. Verse 9 says this, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Right. So we read in Isaiah 6 that, Isaiah had a very similar experience, that God took a coal from off the fire of the altar in heaven and put it on Isaiah's tongue. And so here we have a similar experience for Jeremiah. And the Lord, notice the capitals, the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. You read that in Jeremiah chapter 1. And I want you to get a picture of Jeremiah's reluctance he was not going oh man when I grow up I want to be a prophet (laughs) that was never his prayer he was called by God and he was reluctant to receive and act on that call that's how it was for Jeremiah so we go down to verse 12 and it says then the Lord said to me you have seen well for I am watching over my word to perform it So here's the thing. Jeremiah was very reluctant to begin the ministry of God's word. In the beginning, he was extremely reluctant. In fact, as we've gone through the book of Jeremiah, we've seen several times that Jeremiah says, I quit. I do not want to do this. Please, I don't want to do this. Now, why was he so reluctant to be a preacher, a prophet of God's word. I mean, after all, you get to work one and a half hours a week. It's a great job. Why wouldn't anyone want to be a pastor, a preacher, a, a, a prophet in the Old Testament? Can you think of any reasons why you might be a little bit reluctant to accept that call? Let me give you four good reasons why you should be reluctant to accept that call. The ministry of God's word is a burden. It is a burden. What do we mean by that? We mean, in, and we see it clearly in Jeremiah's instance, that when, when Jeremiah was called to share God's word with people, he, he saw people differently. He began to feel God's word. When he's telling the people that this word is going to save your life, or if you ignore it, you ignore it to your peril and your lives will be destroyed an invading army will come in and destroy you. He, he doesn't just say it coldly. He feels it. He is burdened with it. So this is how he describes it. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. 
What does he mean by that? He means he's mocked, he's ridiculed, he's people calling him names. And to add insult to injury, they are rejecting him. If you don't like rejection and you crave popularity, can I tell you pastoral ministry is not for you. If you have very, very thin skin, you probably don't ever want to be a preacher. And Jeremiah isn't biting at the bit to get into this. He's going, I admit it, I've got thin skin. I admit it, I don't want to do this. I don't like being called names. I don't like it when I can see people doing the wrong thing to their own harm. I don't like that. Please leave me alone. And we read in, in Jeremiah that all he wanted to do was to just live quietly. He wanted to get married. He just wanted to have a quiet little house on the prairie and leave me alone. But God had other ideas. And so for Jeremiah, the word of the Lord, he says in this passage, and by the way, you, you may have picked up in chapter 20, Jeremiah is, is experienced what we might call mild depression. And, and one of the things we're going to see in Scripture is... That scripture is very real in giving the full picture of the human condition. And that's, that's an aspect of it. If I say, I will not mention him. So here's how it's a burden. If I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in. And I cannot... So I've said, that's it, I'm not going to prophesy anymore. Then he'll walk down the streets of Jerusalem and he'll see them worshipping idols. He'll see them taking their children out into the valley to sacrifice them to the gods of, of idols and stone and wood and all the rest of it. And he says, no, thus says the Lord, stop it. Oh, why did I say that? I can't contain it. I can't keep it in. The word of God is burdening within me. So that's one reason if you, if you are someone who doesn't like getting passionate, you don't like having um, a, a deep sense of compassion for people, pastoral ministry, the preaching ministry, the prophetic ministry is not for you. Look for another job. Here's another reason why Jeremiah might have been reluctant to be involved in prophetic ministry. The, the ministry of the Word of God is a responsibility. It's a responsibility. And it's a responsibility that no preacher, prophet, pastor should take lightly now who's worthy of this responsibility and jeremiah certainly didn't think he was either who can fulfill that responsibility this is where i land on this you've just got to have your heart right and do the best you can you put in as much as you can hoping that god can use it there are times when as i heard in my early days a preacher taught me there's always three sermons there's the one you prepare there's the one you preach and there's the one you'd wish you'd preached who can who can handle that level of responsibility knowing that if you get it wrong the consequences are dire and Jeremiah is only a young teenager he may not have wanted that level of responsibility chapter 23 is I mentioned before the the shepherd chapter of Jeremiah and in the shepherd chapter, Jeremiah is, is castigating the priests and the, the leaders of Jerusalem. And he, he is calling them, well, as they should have been called, that is, shepherds. He starts off in verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who 
destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. It goes on in verse 2. This is verse 2. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Now, with that hanging over your head, who would put their hand up and say, well, I'm in. I'll be a shepherd. If I get this wrong, God is going to inflict double punishment on me for getting it wrong. That's not a great incentive to get into the pastoral preaching prophetic ministry. And maybe that's why Jeremiah was reluctant as well. But this reveals something of the heart of God. God wants to be our shepherd. How does a shepherd shepherd sheep? In Australia, we do it, I think, differently to how most Oriental, that is sort of in the Arab world, in that, that part of the world, the Middle East, how they do it. We do it from behind. And, we, and, and sheep herders use dogs and, and um, quad bikes and the like and shepherd their sheep that way, driving the sheep. But in the Oriental picture, that's not how they did it. Where was the shepherd in relation to the sheep in the Middle East? In front. And yeah, you're right, they would watch over them as well. But they would lead them in front. And it's a really beautiful picture. In fact, when we think in the Australian terms of a shepherd, we think in you know, a flock of uh, you know, 600 sheep. They didn't. They just thought that they would have a flock of enough for that shepherd to know every one of them by name. And the Bible says that in uh, Zechariah that God whistles for his sheep. You think, what the heck? Apparently, these shepherds could have a whistle that every sheep recognised was their whistle. And you might think, oh, yeah, as if. We have had the privilege over the last few weeks of walking out our front door, walking a few metres up the road and seeing a paddock full of roast lamb, uh, fresh, um, sorry, spring lambs. All these little lambs, we, we, we saw them almost literally being birthed in a, in, a, in a paddock. And then from the earliest age, we saw these things get up and they wobble on their legs. And the interesting thing is, as they're doing that, the mother sheep is going bah, 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 bah. And then a few, a few weeks ago by, and we would see these little lambs wander off. And next thing we hear, mommy! That's sheep language. That's it, thank you. <laughs> and, and so the, the little lamb is going, mommy, mommy. I can see tears rolling down your cheeks now. It's so sad. And the next thing you hear from the other side of the paddock, that's dad sheep saying, shut that lamb up, would you, mum? And, and the mum, no, that was a joke. That was meant to lighten the humour up. And next thing you hear, you hear the mum calling out to the sheep. And what was amazing was we, we would see dozens of mother sheep and dozens of baby lambs finding each other just through their, the sound. And, and the Bible actually paints a picture of a shepherd as knowing the... the and, and Jesus picks it up in John, uh, John 10, that my sheep know my voice and I call them by name. It's a beautiful picture. When Jesus says in John 10, I am the door of the sheep, you think... That's odd, unless you understand oriental sheep practice, where that shepherd with his 20 or so sheep would form, you know, be out and, and would take brush and, and, and that would be the thing that would, you know, with thorns. And 
and then have a gap there and have his legs there on top of the two rocks at the thing and went, Michael, give me a whistle, please. And that's, that's how the sheep would come in. Oh, it can get louder than that, don't worry, but don't, that wasn't a, an invitation. And, then, and the shepherd would do this. Jesus says, oh, I am the door of the sheep. And the shepherd, his, he would make the doorway to the sheep and he would run his hands through their fleece and pull out the burrs and he would, he would literally be feeling them and he, would, he got to know them intimately. It's a beautiful picture. So at the end of the day, guess what the shepherd smelt like? Sheep. And we see the same rebuke that Jeremiah is giving in Ezekiel chapter 34. My shepherds have not tended to my sheep. They have let them scatter. So here, if you don't call the sheep together, come on everybody, it's time to come together. And the Bible word for that, as far as the people of God goes, is the word assemble. Uh, We think of church as gathering or maybe a crowd. God doesn't see it that way at all. He sees us as a family assembling together. And what I'm doing now, hopefully, hopefully is a part of calling you together to give attention to his word. So Here's another reason why Jeremiah may not have been overly keen to be involved in the ministry of God's word. The ministry of God's word is not popular. Now, I've told you that Jeremiah's uh, message, major message, was uh, famine, sword and pestilence. Have a nice day. Famine, sword and pestilence. You know, that's not a popular message, but it was the truth. If you keep going the way you're going you will experience famine sword and pestilence and we read in Jeremiah Jeremiah saying this thus says the Lord I am about to fulfill the words of the covenant that you and I made in other words famine sword and pestilence should not have been a surprise to anyone because God had said in Deuteronomy 26 for example If you forsake me and go after idols, then you will experience, guess what? Famine, sword and pestilence. And the people said, we agree to the covenant. So none of this was a surprise. But you can imagine Jeremiah going, God, this is not a popular ministry. And he paid a huge price. If you, if you can recall the story, Jeremiah from a very young age, and we, we saw that he prophesied under the reign of four kings, that Jeremiah said, unless you repent, this is what will happen. And he was 13, 14 years of age when he began to give this message. It sort of hit his straps at the age of 16, 17, 18 or so. So he's a really young man. Can you imagine a 16, 17, 18-year-old young man prophesying to kings? This is Jeremiah. It's, a, it's an awe-inspiring message. And these kings didn't listen to him. They didn't repent. They refused to give heed to what Jeremiah was saying. And exactly what Jeremiah said would happen did happen. Jeremiah prophesied what nation it would be that would come in and invade them, who the emperor of that nation would be, he, he, he gave a specific time frame when it would happen and it all happened. 
So when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, did come in and killed thousands of people and took thousands away and left the poorest of the poor, who were the most uneducated, who, who were of no use to him in Babylon, he left them there. There was a group of people that came to Jeremiah because Jeremiah was given the choice, will you, will you come to Babylon where we'll look after you or will you stay here? And God told him, Jeremiah, you're to stay in the city. And Jeremiah gave the same word to those who were left. Stay in the city and God will protect us. So then they come to him in chapter 42 of Jeremiah. And they say, Jeremiah, we don't know what to do. Tell us the word of the Lord. Well, we pick it up in verse 4. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. And whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Verse 5 of chapter 42. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends to us. Verse 6. Whether it is good or bad, they say to him, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom you are, uh, we are sending you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. So they knew this. Now, if you're in chapter 42, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but verse 7 goes on and says this, at the, end of the ten, at the end of 10 days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And you might remember I did a whole message on that, pointing out that prophets weren't speaking on their own initiative and God said, yeah, I like that. I'll, I'll inspire that if you like. That's not how it worked. They had to wait to hear from God. Verse 8, then he summoned Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, in verse 9, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him, if you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not Pluck you up, for I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not, verse 11, do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread and we will dwell there. Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Oy. Now, if you ever read that, that means God has just strapped his sword on. It's a military expression. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you and there you shall die. Famine, sword, pestilence. Now, Jeremiah gave them that word in chapter 42, having had them say, whatever God's word is, we'll obey it because we have now seen Jeremiah Everything you've said over these last 50 years has happened exactly. So we're in. Tell us what to do. We know it'll be God. We'll obey it. 
Jeremiah gives them this word and they said, that is not from God. And they go down to Egypt and they get killed by Nebuchadnezzar. Tragic, 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 tragic. So being a prophet was not a popular ministry. Maybe that's why Jeremiah was reluctant to go into it. I need you to understand something about the Word of God. I made a a glib comment just before about it. Some people have the idea, and I've read this, that that this is, say for example, in uh, the middle, if you open your Bible, in the middle, you come to Psalms. And some people have the idea that this is God saying, you know what, that's really nice poetry. You people, Asaph, David, Solomon, Ezra, you guys have written really, really nice poetry. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to inspire that and we'll put that in the Bible. How's that? That's not how it works. Not at all. So it wasn't that God adopted the work of men and said that's going to be the Bible. And if we had the time and the appropriate context, I would show you that that is the idea behind other holy books, but it's not the Bible. But here's what the Bible says about itself, and I think this is really important. Because I grew up in, a, in an Anglican church where some of the people, not all, some of the people said, yes, well that's referring to the Bible, yes, that's just the opinions of men, that's not God's speaking, that's just the opinions of men. And it doesn't help the case of people who believe that this is all God's word, when Paul says something like this, I now say, not the Lord, I now say. Now here's the thing with the verse like that in, say, 1 Corinthians 7. The fact that Paul said that and it's now in God's word, it is God saying. Because God was able to use human experience, human emotional vocabulary, and he was able to use it for his inspired word. Now where am I getting this from? From 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And it says this, All scripture, do you notice that? Not most, not some, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed by God. Now, this isn't the context to talk about how God did that, but it's not what we call mechanical dictation. It's not like God saying to these guys, take a letter. No, 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 you, just, you spelt that wrong. Spell it this way. It's not like that. That's not how God's inspiration worked. God's inspiration worked through human vessels to give his, without error, that's the word inerrant, infallible, cannot make a mistake, divinely inspired word. So we, we have on our laps or in our phones, or however you read your Bible, God's sure word. Every bit of it is inspired by God. There are, there are people who are called liberal, theologically liberal, and they think that some of it may be. There are other people who are what we call neo-orthodox. These are big words that probably won't mean anything to most of you. And they believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. But the Bible itself says this is all the Word of God, all of it. So we find in the Bible, this, this, which I think is beautiful, that the Word of God gives light. It gives wisdom and it shares truth and it gives hope. And this hope comes from God. 
Now, now one of the reasons why some people believe that the Bible is not completely inspired, that it only contains the Word of God, is because they think that the Bible makes mistakes about the world. For example, how could God possibly flood the entire globe and destroy all humanity? And oftentimes, the problem isn't what the Bible says. The problem is how people interpret a passage like that. In other words, they think it says something it doesn't actually say. And when you understand, for example, the expression, the whole earth, for example, when it says that the Israelites brought in what's called the Ark of the Covenant, this is a box that was used in the, the tabernacle and then later in the temple, and it contained the, the two tent, uh, tablets of the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and a couple other things in there. It says this, when Israel brought in the Ark of the Covenant, the whole earth shook. Now I'm pretty sure the Aboriginals at Liawini at that time did not go, did you feel that? What was that? I think that was the Ark of the Covenant being brought into Israel. You see, we use expressions from our perspective. And when Israel used the expression, the whole earth shook, it means, and, and you can, you, you, we've actually felt it, you know, if you've ever lived on a highway, when a big truck goes by and your house goes like that, you probably need to sell up and move somewhere else. But it happens. It can actually, and you can feel like everything's shaking. But That's when all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Jeremiah Part 188. As we've heard tonight, there are three things we can do to delight in the Word of God. Receive it, heed it and share it. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.